Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray and his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash NFL. Hey, 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 this is NFL Hall of Famer Ray Lewis. I'm excited to announce the launch of my new podcast, Everyday Greatness, the Ray Lewis podcast. I'll be talking with friends, family members, old teammates, athletes, celebrities, moguls. And guess what? I'll be talking to you. Listen, this is all in the search for everyday greatness. So I'm asking you to come along with me on this ride. Download new episodes of Everyday Greatness, the Ray Lewis podcast, every Friday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and on PodcastOne.com. It's not what you have. It's what's inside of you that actually inspires greatness. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, fam. So who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Into the PFF NFL podcast, Steve Palazzolo back here with Sam Monson. How you doing, buddy? Doing good, Steve. How about you? Wonderful. I'm not really here. Hmm, yes, short pod this week is you're leaving somewhere. Now, staycation. Staycation. Just hanging out around the house. Oh wow! Yeah. You're gonna get Nowhere some to go. uh, some more yard work done. The chainsaw. I might. I might. We shall see. Anyway, we had an intriguing question from our listeners. Had did we not? Yeah, you Where know, did this come from? You know it's mid-June when you're going to do an entire podcast that's surrounding this question. But frankly, I think it's kind of a cool question. Um, effectively, what is, the best NF- what is the best team you can do, you can create using sports stars from other sports? 
So this idea of, you know, LeBron James, if he played in the NFL, what would he be? Basically, what's the best team you can come up with, you can create using superstars from various different sports other than football? I, I couldn't figure out. Could we use old timers? Can we? Because there was a lot of guys yeah, from the past who kind of came to mind. I was trying to keep it current, but then it occurred to me that I actually don't follow enough sports to make to make Same. it happen. So yeah, if if you need to go back into the ether a little bit, I think that's probably okay. All right, so I think that's what we're going to do. So we're going to create the best football team we can find using athletes from other sports. Um, and did you say is wrestling allowed? I, I mean, that's not a sport. It's not Come a on. sport. I know. It's, it's also it's the world the, of entertainment. The point I made to you is that these people have to be able to pass a drug test. Like at some point, you're going to have to some prove you're not, on, you're not roided to the gills, and that's going to be a problem. Yeah, that's fair. John Cena, you going to make it? I don't know. No, he's all clean. John Cena's clean. All right, so you ready to do this? Let's go. Yeah. Best team with guys from other sports. I guess we're going to start with quarterback where it was tough to figure out what we do here, but I, I suggested Joe Maurer, the former twins catcher who was actually a number one or top quarterback recruit in the nation. Yeah. And was committed to Florida state. That helps when, when there's guys that you can actually see with a history of playing quarterback. I mean, I think in terms of this is the hardest position to fill, I think, because when you're looking at like transferable skills, quarterback is just unique. Like if you're not a quarterback, there's almost nothing you can point to in another sport that says this guy has the aptitude to play quarterback. I, I mean, I think the closest thing you can think of is like, you know, the best point guard in basketball, say. But even then, like, you, you know, you're thinking of you mentioned a guy like Alan or Allen Iverson. Like Allen Iverson used to play quarterback. Again, there's at least some evidence of him doing that. And I think that's kind of what you need. But like point guard in basketball, to an extent, the less like number 10 fly half in rugby this idea of a guy that has to spend time sort of surveying the the landscape, identifying no. um, options, playing things as they see them, and then delivering the ball where it needs to go. Like, there's a very, very small... I get the point guard thing, but you're like completely missing the first thing that should be the question is like, can this guy throw? Unless we're running the option, yeah, it should be like, can you throw? I, I do like, you know, you get the quarterback point guard comparison a lot, which is like spatial awareness, like you said, seeing things and anticipating and all that stuff like that's fine. But the getting the ball from point A to point B is like a completely different skill right, set. So I think those are different sports. Basically equally important, right? It's can you throw the ball and can you actually, you know, read things and get the ball where it needs to go? Like if you don't have either one of those two things, you can't play quarterback and every position or every sports star you look that doesn't have experience doing that is probably only ticking one of those two boxes. Yeah, I, I might be missing someone completely who was a really good quarterback and is playing another sport at this point. Joe Maurer is the first guy that comes to mind. Would you put an Allen Iverson at quarterback on your on your team here? Because I suggested a Percy Harvin role for him. Percy I Harvin. had to go old timer. I, I mean, he, he looked like a pretty handy quarterback. I'd, I'd be tempted at that. Okay. Allen Iverson... And Joe Maurer are one and two. I think Iverson's going to be an offensive weapon, though. Yeah. So and one then of the we'll things, train him at quarterback. When I was doing this, when I was going through this thing, one of the things I discovered is how absolutely few sports there are that have any shot of playing football at any level, right? Like 
for a start, when you look at the number of sports, like whatever about you get this thing, this discussion about what are the who are the best athletes in the world? Is it like the athletes? Is it soccer players? Is it football players, basketball, rugby, whatever? Like, and when you look at like the most popular sports in the world, which is how I started to do this, once I ran out of like the obvious ones, it was like, all right, name me some sports, and then let's figure out if those guys have any transferable <laughs> skills whatsoever. When you look at like the most popular sports in the world, there's no way any of these guys have any shot of playing football. They get but, murdered. Like a tennis player, point. Roger Federer out there, you know, in pads playing well, corner. No, forget there's, it. There's definitely some sports that have zero translation. However, if you did this for another sport and you said, okay, which guys could actually play in the NBA? There's a difference between saying, can this guy play basketball, which a ton of guys can, or or like, could this guy actually play in the NBA? Because the NBA is a special world of people my size with ridiculous yeah, athletic skills. That's what I'm saying. Like just from a just from an athletic just from an athletic standpoint, there's a bunch of sports here that that are like amongst the most populous in the world, popular in the world. They just have no earthly chance of playing football without the guy getting murdered after six minutes. But I don't know that many football players could handle themselves in the NBA. And then you look at, okay, well, could they play hockey? Because the whole thing, it's all of this athletic skill, but on skates, well, yeah. right? So hockey is like a whole different world. And then with baseball, it's like, all right, nobody, like baseball doesn't need the greatest athletes in the world, but throwing the ball 90 plus miles an hour and hitting a 90 plus mile an hour ball is quite a very specific skill that I don't think many of these guys could perform. You'll so also, I think uh, you'll be quick to embrace this though. There seems to be a world of sports that are like designed for small people. Um, yeah. You know, like that. really skinny guys just have to have like endurance, like badminton and cycling, you know, sports designed Jockeys. for people that are five foot nine and 150 pounds. Again, that's not fair. Those guys don't, they don't exist in the NFL. No. All right. So there's our quarterback. What are we doing? I, I haven't even heard of half the pl- people that you oh, put yeah. on so this list. That here, was so. like a preamble to say that a lot of these people are going to come from a couple of specific sports because there's some obvious crossover. And it yeah. won't shock any of you to know that rugby is the one that I'm leaning on pretty heavily. Um, I drew wrestling in for one because it just it was a good fit. And so I, I like go, that one. I'm willing to let that one slide. Um, <laughs> go, uh, go running back here. So running back, right? Running back, the guy I think that's most obvious. I think so this is the one where I think rugby would have the most crossover, right? You can get yourself anyone that has like a pretty good sidestep and some running ability to his game in terms of rugby would, I think make a solid enough running back. And that's where all the crossover attempts from rugby to the NFL have basically played. They've been that, you know, fourth running back on the depth chart slash punt returner. Um, So there's a guy that plays for the New Zealand all blacks called Nagani Laumape. Um, mm. I don't know if that's how you actually pronounce his name. I think it's pretty close, but I'm not great at pronouncing Kiwi names. Um, this guy is like, he plays 12 in New Zealand and he's like a bowling ball. He's like, I think six foot, 215 pounds, something like that. Stupidly physical guy. He's got enough like sidestep and wiggle to his game that I think he could play running back. Um, has obviously the skills to do it in terms of catching basic ball skills, that kind of stuff. But I think he's got the kind of size that a lot of these guys don't have. Like rugby's got a lot of small shifty guys, but they don't have that many guys that are like 200 plus pounds to be able to take that sort of beating between the tackles. I think he'd have a shot at doing it. I was going to say my um, former teammate, Darren Ford. Okay. And this is my small, my very small world. He was the fastest guy I ever played with. 
like baseball is a fascinating game where like when you hit a ground ball to the shortstop, it, it's an out, right? Like the game of baseball, like with whoever it was designed, like there are certain plays where like, you know, this happens, you know, it becomes an out. Ford was the first guy who would take like routine plays and I would see him like actually like beat them out and be like safe at first because he was so fast and everything. Um, and I'm trying to I researched him a little bit and it said, you know, in high school, he was a football star and I knew he played football, but he ran. It said he ran a four, 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 40. Now that's in high school. You don't get a ton of those in high school. And usually guys get a little bit faster. Like you probably peak around 2021 20, as far as speed goes, right? Yeah. B- Maybe baseball, a little later. Baseball is one of those sports that I'm fully prepared as much as I can't stand it and wouldn't watch it if you paid me. I'm fully prepared to admit that the people that you see when you meet them in person are surprisingly freakish in terms of athleticism and size. Like you, I mean, obviously there's you, Thank you. right? Um, but like you meet a bunch of other guys that are just like six, seven, like, whoa, like that, you know, on TV, they just look like regular humans. And then you see him right. actually in person, like a guy like six, seven, two thirty, who's an athlete. And you're like, okay, this is maybe as a, maybe you've chosen the wrong sport, but you yourself appear to be quite the athlete. <laughs> so that that's, thank you. So that's why I'm going Darren Ford. I, I don't know. He was probably a sub four guy, sub four, four guy when you, uh, you'll get him at his peak. Um, he, we used to run 60s, Sam. And so like a good 60, I think like the major league average is like 6.8, 60 yard dash. And once you get above that, those are your fastest guys, 6'6", six, 6'5". Six, six, Ford ran like a 6.18, 60. So again, I don't know how to translate that to a 40. I just know that he was crazy fast, a very good center fielder because of it. Um, but I'm not sure he's a receiver type. He's a little smaller. So he's going to be my running back on this team. Old friend, Darren Ford. Okay. What do you have at uh, receiver? I, so, I kind of like. Yeah. Receiver, I think, is the one that's easiest to fill. Um, the for a start, there's a bunch of different like skill sets and sizes and shapes in playing receiver at the NFL level, which helps. But also, I think you can find more sports where you get a guy that's just a exceptional athlete, stupidly fast, and sort of has that kind of skill set. So Cristiano Ronaldo, I think, would actually make a pretty useful receiver. Um, like Ronaldo has just been this uh, physical freak in terms of like maintaining this absurd body type well into his 30s. Um, so I think he could probably do it. He's also got enough size. Like he's not small. Obviously he's small for like NFL receivers, but he's like six two. He's jacked for a soccer player who are all like waifs who have no size to them. But you imagine if you got him into an NFL strength and conditioning program and focused on putting on a bit of muscle, like he could actually get some sort of weight to him and, and hold up well enough. The only there's sort of two guys that I think could survive in that world that are soccer players. One is Cristiano Ronaldo. The other one is this guy that plays for Wolves in the English Premiership called Adama Traore. Like he went from being this like regular soccer player that's you know built like a scrawny, skinny dude, and then he like found the weight room or something, right? And he just became this beast. And he looks. There's like two or three players in soccer history that have like looked different on the field to everybody else. Everyone else has like the same body shape. But this guy is just this jacked Hulk running around the field. But he's also really quick, really fast, dribbles past people the whole time. I think he could make this like David Boston. possession receiver? No, oh, I David think more Boston, like a yeah. David Boston kind of, you know, squat, jacked um, speedster. 
Uh, but also, like, like jacked compared to soccer players, makes you just like a regular NFL receiver. And then right. the last one is Usain Bolt. Not just because I think there's this history of like sprinter to receiver translations, but Bolt re- always reminded me of like Randy Moss, the way he ran, in that all of his damage was done like the last 30 meters of the race, right? Once that six foot five stride started to like open up, other guys just don't, they don't move as far, right? Like your six foot five stride is taking you a foot further than my, you know, 5'11 stride. You're just taking off into the distance. Even if, even if those guys have comparable speed to them until they hit that top end. And that was Moss, right? Once he opened up, you couldn't run with him. So a Usain Bolt, as you take the top off a defense, deep threat speedster, now you're cooking. <sighs> The thing about people have asked us quite a bit, like, why can't you just take Bolt and put him on a football field and make it work? Why can't that happen? I, you know, I think we've talked about this at times before. Like what what does separate the straight? Because I think a lot of people just see Madden and they you know, right. in Madden, like you literally take the 99 speed guy and he just goes. But there's a lot of things that happen along the way. And I know it's easy to just say, well, it's press coverage. But like, think about the strength that you need the whole way along the route to make things work. Cause it's not just like, yeah, you could press in five yards, but there's other physicality along the way. I think you see that in soccer a little bit, like contact balance and to be able to like fight through just like the slightest nudge, what seems like the slightest nudge and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So like, what would uh, Usain Bolt, what would he have to do right. to actually play in the NFL and, and make a difference? It's a good point. And it's, it's something that's changed as the league is, you know, as football has developed and, and people technique has gotten better, right? Like you used to be able to survive based off athleticism and nothing else. And one of the answers to the question is it has worked in the past. Like guys have made just direct crossovers from the world of track and field athletics into the NFL and been successful. Bob Hayes is one of the, is in the hall of fame, right? They put him in eventually. Bob Hayes in the Hall of Fame now? Is he? I, I don't I can't confirm nor deny. He's now in the Hall of Fame. Whatever. Bob Hayes is one of the greatest Cowboys receivers of all time. He's all, I've seen a case made that he's one of the greatest sprinters of all time as well, and he made that pretty immediate translation. But this was back in a time essentially before zone coverage existed. Like Bob Hayes almost single-handedly created zone coverage because people couldn't run Hall with him. Hall of Fame. There you go. Um, 2009. You know, there have been some other or other receivers that have made that translation as well as a, a hurdler back in the day. His name is escaping me right now. Um, but I think now it's harder because technique is so much better because athletes are so much better. And, you know, not everybody is Bob Hayes, but there are cornerbacks out there that run 4-3 flat as well. Like you can't even a, even a Usain Bolt is not going to have like just the immediate light night and day speed advantage over every single player he comes up with he's gonna have we, to have some what technique. would his 40 be for perspective's sake <sighs> yeah it's it's people always calculate this but it's hard i mean it's probably in the single like the four one something four right? one something right but it the problem is like i say like his his biggest speed advantage was the last 30 meters of the hundred right which is like yeah. 20 yard like it's like 30 yards after you finish your 40 is when he's taken right. off from everybody yeah, that it does kind of change things there. Um, what was I going to add? Oh, like Alvis Alvis Witted was always the uh, the guy, the my old Jags, the guy that I was always. Yeah, as I'm learning football, like this guy runs in the four twos. Like, why can't you just throw it to him deep all the time? And it's just not that simple. 
because of uh, the physicality of football and all that stuff. So uh, Ronaldo Nehemiah um, was the other guy that I'm thinking of, the former hurdler, I think, that went into the NFL. It didn't last very long, but was on the 49ers for a couple of years. So I also have Allen Iverson working out of the slot. What about Russell Westbrook working out of the slot? Okay. Uh, give me so that's where I would use those point guards. Give yeah. me those point guards who are just incredible footwork and shifty, and you know those guys. I think could become good route runners. There's some. I mean, I think like I say, I think receiver's the easiest position in this team to fill. I think you could put some rugby players there as well. Guys like Cheslin Colby could be a really absurd Dante Hall type slot, uh, you know, human joystick type player. Cool. Yeah. Do you think he would have been that much better, uh, Dante Hall? Now? Today's yeah. NFL? I think he'd be a lot better now. He'd be used a lot more. Yeah. So the funny thing is, like, it's not like the NFL was um, archaic at that time. And we're talking like the mid-2000s. That's when this stuff was starting, like, you know, featuring slot receivers more and giving them more opportunities. But it feels archaic compared to today's NFL. And Back then it was like, here's this gimmicky guy. Right. We'll use him a little bit. But now it's like, we're going to use you a lot of it. Well, not just that. So it's less how I think it's less that they didn't. It's less about how you use that guy and more that that guy's baseline of opportunity when you understood the other things that you need to add into the offense for it to for it to not just be neutralized by specific defenses is different. So this idea that we talked about in the last podcast um, about the 98 Vikings being most of the way there, but there were like a couple of things missing from that offense that, you know, quick game hot routes, the ability to defeat the blitz and all that kind of stuff. That's where your slot receiver lives, right? Those guys just get free targets yeah. now based off all this stuff. Whereas back when Dante Hall was there, they didn't necessarily have or lean on that stuff too much. So you actually had to manufacture him a play. Like he had to be the number one uh, target on a play for him to get the ball most of the time. Whereas now he would get 25 more targets in a season just based off this stuff existing. Uh you're looking a lot at the uh, Steve Young, Joe Montana years and everything. And we know that, you know, who they were throwing to. They developed guys like Terrell, Terrell Owens came out of that system. Of course, Jerry Rice, John Taylor. Was there ever a point where Walsh, I got to go back and look. Did he ever chase speed, so to speak? Did he ever go after the speed receiver? Or was he always essentially content with saying, give me these. I always use the not. I always use the phrase like Uber possession guys. I mean, they, they, I could say that about Jerry Rice. I mean, he wasn't. He had long football speed, too, but like uber possession guy, right? Like the dude's just going to get open. Terrell Owens is going to get open. Did did he ever fall in love with speed? Bill Walsh, I mean, do you know that through the years? The, Nehemiah was, that was in Bill Walsh's years. I think that was 82 to 84 or something like that. So that would have been right at the start of his tenure um, with Joe Montana there as well. I haven't looked in, I mean, uh, John Taylor more, was quite the speedster, right? Yeah, I got to go back and just look more specifically. I'm just posing the question without having an answer. All right, let's move on to tight end. You you wrote down LeBron. I think a lot of people put LeBron at tight end. I think the debate, the debate is LeBron tight end or defensive end normally, right? Yeah, and that's that's. I think those are two sort of physical body types that are quite similar. Um, Yeah, yeah. I mean, LeBron is a tight. He was a receiver in college or high school, right? Um, Like a wide receiver, like Calvin Johnson, basically in high school this absurd height, weight, speed freak just wrecking people, then, you know, obviously commits to basketball, becomes the same thing in the NBA. 
but like if so, I, I'm pretty sure he would have grown out of receiver. Like there's no way that he even a Calvin Johnson, there's no way that somebody wouldn't have moved in positions at some point during that transition. Like so he he's Vernon Davis. Yeah. Except like bigger. Vernon Davis. Well, Vernon Davis came to Maryland as like a 200, 210 pound wide receiver. Yeah, I think it was. And bulked up to eventually what two forty, two fifty, right? Except and LeBron yeah, would have taken that all the way to like six eight, two sixty five, and still right. running like that. Like it would have been absurd. Like he would have been, I think, the most athletically gifted tight end that had ever hit the NFL. Now, whether that means he would have been the best tight end that ever hit the NFL, who the hell knows? But like he's, I mean, you know, Antonio Gates was the physical freak because he played basketball. Like, dude, Antonio Gates wasn't a fraction of the athlete that LeBron is. So. I, here's a here's a similar question for you, right? Yeah, I, I would put LeBron at tight end. By the way, like I think at the very least, he could be a red zone weapon. He could be a possession, you know, third down conversion guy, red zone guy. But like I'm developing him as a tight end over a defensive end, which makes me think about JJ Watt, who started his career at tight end mm. at Central Michigan, right? Um, becomes one of the best defensive ends of all time or defensive lineman of all time. Is there a world where you would rather have J.J. Watt at tight end, that physical freak skill set at tight end, or would you rather have him in my old tight end eraser role? Is there going to be a world in the future where a 6'6", 290-pound player that can move like that will be used to combat the Travis Kelseys or George Kittles of the world? Is that actually a better use of a JJ Watt type of skill set. Yeah. Or is that crazy? I mean, I don't know if I don't know if those guys I mean, the big reason those guys are so successful on offense is because the counter player doesn't exist on defense, or if he if he does, he's rushing That's what the I passer. Mean. Right. Um and I've said that for years as this sort of just fait accompli. But I wonder what you're talking about is essentially a systemic change in if you get those guys on defense you want them in coverage before you want them rushing the passer because they need to be dealing with that from high school onwards. Like you can't take that guy once he's been this phenomenal edge rusher and say, right now we need you to become Isaiah Simmons in the NFL. Like that's not going to work. He so a couple examples from the, from yeah. the outset, a couple examples from the past, right? Dion Jordan comes out a few years yeah. back, 2013, goes number three overall to the Miami Dolphins. And he was a guy, everybody would evaluate him and say, wow, look at this six, seven guy drop into coverage because Oregon's running that hybrid scheme and he'd play three, four outside backer and drop into coverage, which was great for a six, seven player. And then in, when he got to the NFL, I mean, he was mostly a pass rusher and he was just an okay pass rusher. And I feel like he was overdrafted just because he was a six, seven guy who could drop into coverage pretty well for a six, seven guy. Like it was very impressive. But I feel like they didn't know how to really use him. And for him to maximize his value, he was never going to be a great pass rusher. He wasn't great at Oregon, hasn't been great in the NFL, plus his off-field off issues. But every now and again, I remember he played New England twice a year, and they would actually line him up on Gronk, and he'd run down the field with Gronk every now and again. And it wasn't just like, hey, you're pretty good for 6-7. It's like, wow, you could actually run with one of the best tight ends in the league here. I wonder if there's more guys like that. The, the most recent guy that resembles that a little bit is Josh Allen of the Jaguars. Who's not six, seven, but is this like pure pass rush guy who can cover. And he was running with JK Dobbins down the field. Like he's running. Um, no, not Dobbins, but he was, um, he was running with another back down the field that I noted. Um, 
anyway, he can run down the field with running backs and tight ends. I just wonder if you might want to take some of your freak edge rushers and actually yeah. train them to cover. It's this it's this sea change in perception between for years everybody accepted the pass rush was more valuable than coverage. We've been trying to push the point over the last year or so. Um, the analytics actually suggests, actually suggests it's the other way around. Coverage is more important than pass rush. And once if people start to accept that, then you suddenly start to see a change of, all right, now we have this freaky athlete. We're going to move him to defense. We want him in coverage before we want him rushing the passer. I'm going to do that. I'm just going to look for freaky coverage, guys. <clears throat> I got one well, more player that I think could, could be a decent tight end. Who you got? Um, Israel Falau, who's an Australian rugby league, rugby union, NRL, like Aussie rules rugby player as well. I think he's like 6'4", 230. I think he could add you know, some weight, become a really good move tight end. He's got like absurd Ooh, you've got aerial, a move tight end aerial ball skills. Like he'd be a jump ball phenomenon. So I've got some big baseball players that I've reserved for the offensive line. and So offensive, offensive line. line is tough. Um, I think you can interior is actually okay. I think you can get some interior players doing this outside of quarterback, which is like this unique thing. Offensive tackle. I was just having an absolute nightmare trying to spot because I just don't, there aren't six foot six, 300 pound freaks in other sports. Like unless you can, if you can, you either need, if you can find a basketball player that can like pack on 300, there's some rugby players that maybe have the movement skills to do it and could put on the weight, but even that is tricky. And then, like, outside of that, I've got, like, this, you know, a guy called Ryan Krauser is this, like, world number one shot putter. Those guys are pretty nifty in their feet, you know, for a big guy. But right. it's, there's not a lot of people that are that big with those movement skills. I put two Yankees on the list, former Yankees, current and former Yankees, um, that could – that have at least – offensive tackle body types right so i got cc sabathia who's a listed 66 300 he wasn't <laughs> always 300 but he was always pretty big um and he's a pitcher very athletic i mean he was one of those guys where you don't get to show off your athleticism a ton as a pitcher but like when he had a chance to it's like wow this guy moves really well he's 300 pounds 40 years old now um and then aaron judge who's a listed 67 282 um and that's like oh yeah you could pack on he's you know long yeah built slender like you could easily get to 300 and have the length so they're, they're my offensive tackles a couple of yankees the names that came up for me zion williamson i think could pack on enough to get the tackle he's already like 280 what like 280 he's gotta play tight end though too right no, doesn't he have to be so a lebron big, tight though. end type he's so big like lebron i mean you you could get lebron to 300 maybe but it would i don't think it would i just think i think zion can, has the size like he's built like a brick anyway i think he could get the tackle two uh rugby players both south africans rg snyman and even etzebeth who are both second row guys and like second row the guys that are sort of like tackles but almost none of them have the movement skills to translate to tackle like you can imagine those guys trying to mirror an edge kick stepping you gotta be not gotta gonna be a dancing bear those yeah. two i think actually have the movement skills to maybe pull it off if they packed on a little bit of extra weight. I wonder if Dennis Rodman or somebody like you, if you could get um, trying to think back to some of the other like top rebounders like from Carl the NBA. Malone. Yeah. Maybe a, maybe a Carl Malone. I'm, I don't know why I'm 
drawn a blank on um there's Andre Drummond right now. There was who's the um Ben Wallace. Yeah. So if if I would for offensive line, I would take one of the because all the NBA players have the length, right? Yeah. But you would need somebody you, that's you willing to mix it up. So give me like your guys that are long, have some size to them, and are willing to mix it up. Yeah, and like get Dennis, dirty. The and, thing is that like Dennis Robin was listed at like two twenty. Like he no, need to pack on like seventy pounds minimum. I think their listed weights are way off, though, too. Maybe. I, again, I, I'll never forget being in college. I, I, I'm up in Massachusetts. Antoine Walker's playing in the NBA right now, and he looked chunky, <laughs> right? And I am I was going from, like, I was, like, 6'7", 200, 6'8", 200. I was, like, the super skinny guy who was just trying to put on weight. And I finally hit 240, I think, my sophomore year of college. So I'm like, all right, I'm 6'8", 240 right now. And I remember looking at like Antoine Walker's listed at six eight two forty. There's no way we're both two forty. Like right. he's two eighty or something right now, right? So I don't know. Those also, listed weights I'd are be always intensely off. curious to what Shaq would look like if like grew as oh, a tackle yeah. the whole way, seven yeah. foot and three twenty or whatever it is. Like he'd be Jared Gaither plus, you know? Oh, he's like the creative tackle yeah. guy. Pad level's always an issue, though. Once you get there's a certain yeah. height where pad level is just a massive issue. Um, CC Sabathia did have. Scholarship offers to play college football, including one from UCLA. And then he signed a letter of intent to uh, University of Hawaii to play baseball and football. But he ended up coming in. Think of the uh, think of the wingspan advantage Shaq's going to give you, though. You got to go a long way to get through that stiff arm, that that uh, long arm. Well, it's funny because I'm watching a lot of offensive tackles right now. And like Russell Okung, like I was watching him a lot recently for whatever reason. And you look at him and it's like footwork's not great. Like he wins with his hands with with his punch, with just like, like if you Shaq would have to be so technically sound to just to win with his length and just absolutely wreck people, but it's doable, right? You just have to kind of do it a different way at tackle. We're really getting into the weeds here, how these yeah. guys are going to. Well, so from this point on um, interior line. Yeah. From this point on, like I, I was like, wow, almost all these guys are from two sports. So I started to branch out. I started to try and find something else, right? <laughs> so I decided, look, interior offensive lineman, big, strong. You just need some weight in there, right? Where best to find weight than the world's strongman competition? So Eddie Hall, who was one of the, won the world's strongman, the mountain, the dude from Game of Thrones. Now, my yeah. problem there is that guy's like 6'9", so that's a yeah. big-ass guard. But those two, you know, as your bookend guards, like, like from the replacements, you know, they just get the bouncers. Yeah. Like those are my bookend guards, just these two world strong men. You're like, all right, try come through. It's like that. how Seattle builds, right? So <laughs> I figure those guys could get it done. And then there's a guy called uh, Pavel Fidek, who is like a world uh, hammer throwing champion, like a Polish dude. Again, nifty on his feet for a big lad. So I figure he could be my center. <laughs> and then again, because you know they, they're the, the obvious sport to translate. But I think a couple of props from rugby could become like centers. Um, Kyle Sinclair, the English prop guy, guys like that, those sort of athletic props. Those guys are like 260, 270, you know, a little bit more weight. You get them playing center. If we were going world's strongest man, I'd go Magnus for Magnuson because I'm, because I'm always going throwback. Right. He's 57 right now. I go yes. Magnus. I don't think you'd get it done. Who's anymore. the guy? And so th- who is the world's strongest man? Like who is I think the it's guy the mountain now? It's those two. It's one of those two. But it's like that's like a it's like a moving target. Is there a guy that you look back like if oh, Jordan's like the best basketball player of all time? Who's the best for their era? It might be Magnus. I don't know. Well, like isn't that one the, of those things that like like so 
basketball is subjective, right? The game changes, but the world's strongest man, you're ultimately just lifting a tree. Like surely just yeah. the amount of times you lift the tree makes you the biggest. It doesn't change, but it's like, all right, humans are all getting stronger and training's getting better. It's like, could you say Magnus was better for his time? I don't know. Given what he had for training protocol. Yeah, I, I, like, I, I don't know. You're maybe we shouldn't get into the I have no answer to here. Probably shouldn't get into it. But Magnus, he's, he's, a, he's a backup. He's 57 years old, 6'3", 287. He was a dude that used to do it. I don't even remember his name, but he was back during the Magnus von Magnussen era who used to play with this like uh, Hulk Hogan-style bandana slash do-rag thing on his head. He looked pretty awesome. He would just roll out there like Jack yes. to the gills with this absurd long bandana covering his bald head. I yeah, have no man. idea who that guy is, but he was a hero. We got to find him. We got to find him. This Eric is my Taylor. favorite one. You, for the defensive line, at, no, at nose tackle, you've gone with? Yokozuna. <laughs> Former WWF champion Yokozuna as my zero technique nose tackle. You talk about a nifty lad. At 500 pounds, the dude could move. You've gone full. Four or 500 pounder. Full replacements. You've just pulled Yokozuna off the bench. Yeah. So okay. I think, you know, um, so the thing about a big... It's a misconception that you just want to throw a fat guy at zero tech <laughs> nose tackle. It's a misconception because when you look at the greatest, when you watch like Ted Washington at his 400 pound self and Grady Jackson and all those dudes, they're stacking and shedding, coming off the block and making plays. The, the tackle radius isn't massive, but they're making plays. Yokozuna could do that. He's he's he might be three gapping, to be honest. Yeah. Up there. I think everybody that we listed as the sort of undersized Offensive line guys, uh, whether it's Pavel Fidek, the the uh, hammer throwing dude, um, whether it's the the rugby player Sinclair, a guy like Kean Healy, I think those guys would be good as like the penetrating, pass rushing defensive way, interior yeah. guys on yeah. the D line. Like anyone that's a, an undersized offensive lineman, I think probably has your pass rushing Aaron Donald esque uh, position on the defensive line as well. I had to go throwback again, too. So Frank Thomas, uh, I'm, I'm going to go more like on the edge. It, it is tough to find interior D line, though, like legit. Um, if we're not doubling up on our O line, Frank Thomas, he was a listed six, five, two forty back in the day. By the end of his career, he's probably close to two eighty as well. I believe he did play tight end at Auburn. Um, there is a 30 for 30 on the Auburn players that all came out at the same time. Frank Thomas, Bo Jackson and Charles Barkley. Absolutely incredible. You could throw all those guys on the football field. Barkley probably deserves a spot on this team somewhere. Maybe a guard, the old round mound of rebound. And he was probably <laughs> close to 300. Big. Great. Big yeah. Big. But Frank Thomas was like before Aaron judge and before Giancarlo Stanton and all this, like Frank Thomas was just like a big, scary dude. You talk about baseball players don't look a big on TV. Like Frank Thomas did look big on TV because he was just scary to pitch to. I imagine hmm. um, uh, the big hurt. So I, I think he'd be more of like a pass rushing <laughs> defensive end and or tight end. So those are those are the easy. Those seem to be like the body types that we can find in this yeah. process. Here. So you wanted to include Brock Lesnar in this, right? On on yeah, like he actually had a shot. He was he tried out with the Minnesota Vikings. He was on their roster and he made it. For yeah, a minute. he was like on their roster in summer camp, and then basically. I think the idea was they wanted to put him on the practice squad. Like it was like, we really like your developmental potential. You've got some skills here, but you're not good enough yet. you know, we've got Chris Hovan, Kevin Williams or whatever they had. We right. want to put you on the practice squad and let you develop. And Brock Lesnar's like, I earn millions wrestling. I'm not taking a practice squad gig. Right. And just didn't want to put in 
don't want to say he didn't want to put in the work because I don't think the work was the problem, but it was like, look, I can make millions wrestling or I can last on the practice squad for a maybe shot at the NFL. I'm going to take the millions. But he could have done it. I think he could have done it. Yeah, probably could have done it. And then Shane Carwin from uh, the UFC as well. Like those two guys were both freaking monstrous, like physical, just absurd heavyweight beasts who had, you know, the movement skills, Brock probably more than Carwin on that end. Um, but Carwin or Brock potentially also falls foul of that idea of like some point you're gonna need to pass a drug test here and there. Well he does for UFC and But he always WWE, has this thing right? where it's like I'm exempt from the USADA testing because I'm retired and wrestling and then it's like, Oh, I'm gonna come back. Like I I'm just you know like look there's a world you can envisage whereby he would cycle off you know, the drugs for long enough to pass the three consecutive USADA tests and then fight and then get the hell out of there again and, you know, get back on it. I'm not saying that's what happens. I'm just saying I can they envisage can cheat a world the system like that? whereby that's possible. It's messed up. I just sent you a picture of Cecil Fielder, another guy that I added maybe on the interior defensive line. Whew. Yeah, that's so got, back that in the day. got some junk to him. Yeah, Cecil and then his son Prince. Um, I think they all had. I think they had a falling out through the years. I don't know if they talk anymore. But the the two fielders, yeah. Cecil and Prince, could make good interior defensive linemen. Maybe they made amends. There's also, I mean, there's some. There's a lot of rugby crossover into the defensive line. Like again, guys that have actually done it. Haloti Nada was famously a rugby star for years. Isaac Sopawaga. A lot of those like Polynesian defensive line nose tackle guys were like beastly rugby players back in the day. Yeah, I could definitely see that. All right, so we've got a pretty good defensive line there, anchored by Yokozuna. Uh, let's go to linebacker. You added three names here. This Wait, was like the edge. first one. You skipped you... Edge. Oh, I skipped Edge. I'm sorry. Yeah, so that's all D-line. Um, I added Giancarlo Stanton, so another big Yankee, 6'7", okay. uh, 240. You know, he's the guy. That's Well, if you're 240, you could easily be 250, 260 right. in what I need off the edge. So I think that's perfect there. And you added Puig. Yes, yeah. Puig. Based entirely off that play where he tried to fight the entire opposition roster. Did you see him toss that dude to the side? His yeah. own teammate trying to hold him back? If you, that shows me that you can, <laughs> you can shed a block from an offensive tackle, bend the corner, and get in the quarterback's face in an instant. That dude's like 240-plus as well, right? Yeah, I, think he, I, I don't know his exact weight. He's got good size on him. The other baseball player that tried to fight an entire team was Izzy Alcantara. But he doesn't. Um, he doesn't have the same type of body, right? As Puig, I'm just saying he like is he's he, the guy who kicked the catcher in the head. Yeah, Yasil like shed that block in an instant. I mean that was impressive stuff. <clears throat> Let's see what his listed weight is, Puig. He is yeah six two two forty listed. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, there you that's go. James, James Harrison, right? And he's the same right? kind of body type, right? Yeah, we've got good edge def- edge defenders, and I would have put Frank Thomas. I put Frank Thomas at the on, on the edge. I'm liking Cecil this Fielder defense on the interior. Yeah, I think we can. We're building a defense. It depends on how good these linebackers I've never heard of. So really I'm liking are, this, so. right? The first one, Yoel Romero, MMA middleweight, I think. So he's this Cuban guy, right? And if you Google him right now, Google Yoel Romero. He is like a freaky Superman-looking individual. Who Joe Rogan tells a story that he went to some doctor for whatever after one of his fight, and the doctor like calls Dana Whoa. White up and he says like Where did you get this guy? He goes What do you mean? And he's like He has 
like it was ligaments or muscles or tendons, something in his eye. He was like, I have never seen this before. Like this dude has got thing like strength in his like, because it was like he'd been punched in the face. They were like x-ray in his orbital or whatever. And they're like, this dude has got like muscles around his eye that aren't supposed to be there or whatever. He is this like absolute physical lunatic who can you not imagine that guy like roaming the middle? Zach Thomas. We're putting him style. at linebacker. Hell yeah, we're putting him at linebacker. Okay. And I then, mean, I just feel like we could put him somewhere else too. Where do you want to put him? I don't know. He's listed at six foot one eighty five. That can't be right. Well, one eighty five is the fighting weight, right? So he's going to walk around at like two ten. They drop twenty five for the fight. Cut twenty five. Yeah, it's like water weight. Cut, yeah. Jeez. I mean, he's he's yeah. walking around at two hundred plus. Put it that way. Oh, yeah, he's a backer, right. modern-day linebacker. And then I think linebacker is where the most obvious crossover is with some rugby players. Um, I think you get good athletic back row rugby players. So Artie Surveya um, from hmm. the New Zealand, the Kiwis, um, the All Blacks, what I was looking for. Michael Hooper, Australia, again, those kind of fast, relentless tackling machine back rowers I think would make really good sort of just – go tackle football, you know, Keekly-esque linebackers. I notice you're mostly going down under for your uh, rugby players. They, I mean, the Kiwis in particular have a lot of really athletic. The continent of Australia? God, stop it. They have a lot of really athletic players. Michael Hooper, I think, is just a rare high motor type of linebacker type of uh, back row for Australia. I'll try and squeeze in an Irish player somewhere if I can think of one. Uh, how about cornerback? I couldn't think of any corners. Cornerback's really tough. Um, yeah. Like, you need you need speed, right? We've talked about that you need this cutoff of speed, and I don't know how many of those guys are out there. Christian Coleman is one of the fastest men in the world right now, 100-meter sprinter. I mean, I'm just plugging him in there because I need some speed. Outside of that, I'm struggling for corner. First name scouting, I'm going to go Vince Coleman, who was, like, the fastest player in baseball for a while, and he was listed at six foot 170. So I'm like, all right, I don't know that on paper that looks like a cornerback. I don't know there, if he played football. There's a guy that plays. Uh, here you go. I've I've done it. This is a guy that plays sevens rugby for Ireland. Um, there we go. Whose name is just, oh Jordan Conroy, who is absurdly fast, and he's got that kind of length. Got the movement skills well. He he's got like a cornerback's body type. Put it that way. How about this, Vince Coleman? So he, he comes into Major League Baseball in like the early to mid 80s, right? He comes in and he's just stealing bases at an incredible rate. Like the dude is as fast as anybody. And I'm looking him up right here. And he actually was a kicker and a punter on Florida A&M. Kicker, punter. Hmm. So he played football and he just kicked, apparently. So, so Jordan, Jordan Conroy is listed at six. Did I just say six foot or six two? Six foot. 203 pounds, which is kind of impressive for sevens player. And his, so rugby doesn't do the 40 yard dash time, but they actually clocked them using the, like the miles per hour thing only because they exist in a country that doesn't think the metric system is like a, an evil witchcraft. They, they, so 36 kilometers an hour is what he's been clocked at. Um, vamp a little bit, Steve. Well, I'll tell you how fast that is in miles per hour. That's like, 20, Don't act like you know what the 20.8 between something that like that. miles per hour is. It's between 20.8 and 21.6. 21.6. Something like that. I got to get Ricky Henderson on here, too. Can I get Ricky Henderson on here? Where the hell is my... 
He's the uh, all-time stolen base king, 1,406 in his career, 5'10", 185. Ricky Henderson could play some corner. I want to know how fast he's – so 40 time is just this awesome baseline. Like we'll have M- miles per hour will eventually, you know, become more mainstream, so we'll understand it. But 40 is just like this nice baseline of understanding that we have. 22.4 is what that oh, is. Oh, 22.4? Yeah. He's got some I was wheels. Just, that's I was just looking up Mike Trout. He was up over 21 on one ride. He's going to be my safety. Yeah. Mike Trout. So I think you just give me all the best center fielders as my safeties. But Mike Trout at 230 pounds with 21 mile an hour speed is going to be my strong safety. And then Andrew Jones, one of the best center fielders of all time, he's going to be my my free safety. I, I think you can grab a lot of center fielders and make them center fielders in football. I didn't know where to put him, but this, he felt like an athlete that belongs on this team. Um, Deontay Wilder is this like weird body type. The guy's like six, seven, but listed at like two fifteen. I, I mean, I don't know what the hell you do with that as an athlete, but he feels like those, he's a good enough athlete to belong on there somewhere. Those are the guys you get in college all the time. Like if you go to recruiting sites and you, if you follow recruiting in high school football, like you'll see a ton of players that are like six, six two ten. 6'7", 250, and then they become the 6'7", 250-pound defensive end. Yeah. In, like they put on 40 to 80 right. pounds. The problem is they, they come from like a high school where they've been, you know, who knows how into this. He's already like a professional athlete at that way. Oh, I know. That's, that's not a normal that's not a normal body type. It's not. But he feels like a freaky enough athlete that you could find a spot for him or maybe try and, you know, shift his body composition around a little bit. And then uh, punter... We got Todd Helton. He was the uh, Tennessee Vols punter for Peyton Manning when huh. Peyton was there. He was. Uh, I don't know if he's in the Hall of Fame. Is he in the Hall of well, Fame? Well, punter is punter is an Aussie rules player because they always have. Oh, been. of course. Yeah, and not then, Todd Helton. Kicker would be a rugby player, a rugby kicker. So kicker. Just any of them. Well, because they actually do it, right? It's basically the same thing. Kicker, you would have. Uh, I don't know. The best kicker in the world right now is probably Owen Farrell from England. So kicker, you have Owen Farrell, and then I have no idea who the best Aussie rules punter is, but that's your punter. Todd Helton, not not a Hall of Famer. Just finished his career in 2013. Huh, I finished my career before Todd Helton, and he seems old. <laughs> How about that? He is old. He's 46. Hmm. What a team we have here, Sam. I like it. I think that's great. We can win some things. It's a good team. This is going to win podcast of the year. It's the best podcast we've ever done. And uh, we appreciate everybody tuning in for that. Let's get to some questions. So we got it's basically questions? two questions in one, right? It, it, be, it was becoming evident that people are still struggling with this concept of running backs in general and not running the ball and the passing game having all the value and all this kind of stuff. So first guy asks, why do teams have running backs in the backfield at all if there's no need to establish the run? If there, if there is value in doing that, then how do we quantify it? And what is the maximum or the minimum number of runs in a game if passing is better? Blah, 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 right? Basically, just why don't we take it to extremes then if the, the data says passing is king? And then one other guy has asked essentially the same kind of thing that, you know, should EPA – be from play action passes be like credited to the run game right because if it's a run fake then the impact that the run has should somehow the, the value to that should be added into all this or differentiated from the idea that passing is king so it's just this general i think we need to qual or qualify and explain a little bit this relationship more 
Well, let's start with the first one there. The idea of like the running back being in the backfield. So there's no there's no data that says this formation that has no running back as part of the personnel group or has nobody in the backfield is more efficient, right? So it's not like go empty every single time. Therefore, you'll be more efficient. Football will always be a game of there's a little bit of like you don't want the defense to know what you're going to do, right? There has to be some sort of checks and balances and it goes to i think what i said on the last podcast which was i think a really good a truly balanced team isn't a team that runs the ball 50 percent of the time passes the ball 50 percent of the time a balanced team is a team that can win any environment any ecosystem and in the four ways i like to break it down you could pass short pass intermediate pass deep and run the ball right for simplicity's sake you could do those four things. And the running game is one quarter of that. So I think having a running back in the backfield is useful because there are going to be certain looks. And all the data says the looks that you want to run against are the ones where you have the numbers advantage. Right. So there are going to be times when you put a running back in the backfield. There's only five guys in the box. You have like six blockers. It's All right, let's do that. That's a no brainer. And you can average seven yards a pop. Like that's a good way yeah. uh, to create offense and win. The data doesn't ever say you should never run the ball. That's not what it's saying, right? It's not saying it's saying that passing plays generally are more valuable than running plays. So we should start thinking about ways of maximizing that and minimizing the rushing value. And I think what it leads to the logical conclusion to that is not, well, let's stop running the ball ever. The logical conclusion to that to me is you end up with this system that looks more like Mike Leach's air raid systems in college where you know, he uh, apparently doesn't even practice the run game and runs the ball effect. They don't they effectively run the ball only when the front dictates that it's a it's a favorable matchup to the point where it becomes as valuable as the pass game. Right. So even let's boil it all down to the most simple terms. Right. Runs on average gain, what, four yards per carry passes on average gain seven yards per play. So you're three yards better off on average passing the ball than you are running the ball. So effectively, he doesn't run the ball until the defensive front gets light enough where he's like, I can pick up seven yards doing this, at which yeah. point it's a, or, it's a wash. There's also times like third and two, if right. we're just using the pure analytics, third and two, we think teams probably pass third and two, third and three teams probably pass more than they should. And that's and there's two things to that analysis. It's like you're actually going to pick up the first down more often if you spread to run on third and two, third and three. And we're also using the analysis that like, Oh, if you only get to fourth and one, you should probably go for it anyway. Therefore like using a run isn't the worst thing in the world. So um, running the ball still has its value. The replaceability of the running back is a completely different conversation as well. It's less, I think the running backs don't matter concept is more about the running back and less about the running game. So you would say, Pass game is most important and most valuable. Then the running game itself and then the running back himself is the least valuable component of all that because there are other things. What we're mentioning here, box count, the run blocking, all those other things are going to dictate success in the run game more than, say, the running back. Now, what are your thoughts on this EPA combining runs with play action passes, Sam? I mean, I don't. So I don't. I don't like crediting that to the running back on the basis that so all of this all of this advanced work is about identifying the driving force behind all of these aspects, right? So instead of just saying 
Derrick Henry is a perfect example. Instead of just saying Derrick Henry led the league in rushing, therefore Derrick Henry, A, is the best running back in the NFL, B, is the reason the Titans offense got back on track, and C, is the reason they ran all the way to the, the playoffs, right? What you need to do is to say, well, okay, but what was actually causing that? Because if it wasn't Derrick Henry, then it changes the way you want to do things going forward. And then the data and the information, and even the tape, if you just watch it, suggests that it wasn't really Derrick Henry that was driving that. Derrick Henry absolutely took advantage of it, but he was 11th in the league in rushing when they made the quarterback switch, right? And they went from a quarterback that was playing badly to one that for the rest of the season was playing basically as well as any quarterback in the NFL. Like It wasn't a coincidence that the second Ryan Tannehill got in the offense, Derrick Henry looked like the best running back in the league. Similarly, their offensive line at about the same kind of time got healthy, got a big step in the right direction, and Derrick Henry's job became easier. So the whole point is about figuring out what is causing this stuff, not just what's correlated to it. The play, like, and my point with the play component. action is it's a run fake, but we already know it's not like the quality of the running back doesn't impact it, right? You run play action the first play of the game, there's been no establishing the run, it's still just as effective. So you, I don't think you should credit that to a running back because it's not the reason it's successful. Well, the EPA question's not just trying to credit to the running back, he's actually trying to credit to the running game and saying, right. okay, these play action passes go to the running game, but I, but it's a pass, so it's not... So it's all... So... Uh, <coughs> I don't know. The baseball equivalent to like OPS when you combine on base percentage and slugging percentage and then people found, well, you don't necessarily want to do that because they're kind of on two different scales, like a good slugging percentage is way better than a good on base percentage. Like there's a better way to do this. Combining play action pass results with rushing results, you're taking things that are on two different scales. So if you if you have a team that runs has 30 rushing attempts and 70 play action passing attempts, their running game, so to speak, is going to look great because they pass in that scenario 70% of the time in that data set. If you reverse it and say we ran the ball 70 times at four yards a clip and we ran play action 30 times at eight yards a clip, like that's going to be way worse than the team that did it in reverse. So I think combining the two is kind of disingenuous because you're taking you're taking two that you're equating two things that are on different scales essentially yeah i mean i don't think there's anything wrong with essentially identifying the impact that a run fake has on the pass but that's what we already do right right like i don't think you need to credit it to the run game because we already know it's an it's an independent variable like the quality of your run game does not influence the quality of your play action it's not it doesn't relate like that so at that point there's no point in crediting it to it because we know that's not the driving force all you can do is you just separate it out and say look how much more effective or otherwise is play action passing than regular standard drop back passing and we can already do that so i don't see the the reason to get into the the rest of it we've we we mentioned a lot of this stuff in passing and i know it's it's tough for people to completely wrap their head around sometimes like are you saying don't ever you know run the ball are you saying don't ever have a running back i think the real life the real football example I've talked to offensive coordinators who say stuff like, hey, I haven't called in a, run, a run in a while. I'm just going to call a run. I, I think the the shift here would be saying you get 55 to 75 play calls in a game. Make each one as good as possible. Don't throw any away, right? And don't spend time. You don't have to waste 10 plays to make sure your offensive line's happy because they get to hit somebody. 
you don't have to waste 10 to 15 plays because you because you're gonna we're gonna run power we're gonna run power because we know we got this play action power set up for the second quarter or whatever it might be like you don't have to do that yeah so i think that would be that's the actionable so way to do to implement this is to not waste 10 15 20 25 plays that i think a lot of offensive coordinators do we got to get out of here but let me let me close this by saying all right the logical end to all of this data and all this discussion about running backs what i would do if i was like a head coach right based off all the information right now my approach would be one you effectively treat the run game the way mike leach treats his which is, look, we're not going to practice it. It's, it's basically idiot-proof at the point where we're calling a run play. You don't need to know what you're doing. You just need to be able to play what's in front of you. Play with instinct, right? Don't practice it. You're wasting your time. I wouldn't go that extreme. I would. Yeah. Two, um, oh, you're only running the ball when the formation says it's a plus play, right? Or when the numbers way. say it's a plus yep. play. So again, the Mike Leach style of when they, go, when they show you a five-man box, you're probably picking up seven yards of carry, so let's run it. Um, similarly, you know, those short plays, the quarterback sneak, whatever, keep running it. I don't care. Um, and then lastly, I'm never giving a running back a second contract. Um, I don't think it's worthwhile. I think you just recycle. You take a first year or first contract guy every single time and you just keep rolling. And I'm probably never taking that first guy, the first contract guy in the first round. I don't even know if I'm taking him in the second round, but let's say second through fifth. And that's my running back year upon year upon year. And that's, that would be my approach to the run game. I like it. I don't disagree with anything other than the, the practice part of it. I do think you need a little bit of practice and timing and communication. But <laughs> whatever. There you go. That's it. It's the best team you could find using other sports and some <laughs> great questions from our listeners. Let us know who you think would be the best football players from other sports. I'm sure we forgot a lot of them. Uh, but. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll be back again Monday with more of the PFF NFL podcast. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray and his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash Pro Football Focus NFL.